Matthew chapter 4, shall we? So last week we were in Luke and uh, looking at the expectation of the people in line with the Old Testament prophecies and covenants. And we saw that there's nothing there, and if we'd have continued uh, in Luke, we would have seen that, that there's no change as far as the expectation is concerned. Up to uh, Simeon and Anna and so on, they all expected the covenant, covenanted kingdom. They all expected it to be the Davidic kingdom in Jerusalem. But uh, we must move on, and so we're going to Matthew's gospel here. It's after the baptism of Jesus and after the temptation by Satan. And we're interested in what Matthew does, how he links the beginning of Jesus' ministry to Old Testament prophecy, and we're interested in the first preaching of Jesus, what his message was and how it would have been understood in its context. Let me read the passage for you. It's Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 and and following. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, this is the beginning of Jesus' preaching. Here he is, he's been announced by John the Baptist as being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as the Messiah. He's the coming one. He's the one that's been, uh, we've been waiting for. He's this messenger of the covenant that the Old Testament speaks about. He now has been baptized, and what happened at his baptism was that the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came upon him and remained upon him. That uh, dual work of the baptism and his identification with the people and with the Holy Spirit's blessing of him, anointing of him, made him Messiah, made him Christ. Okay, Christ meaning anointed. Then straight away he's thrust into the wilderness, and there he's tempted by Satan. The reason that he's tempted by Satan, or at least the main reason, is because he's the second Adam. Adam, as we uh, saw with the children's message, didn't do very well when he was um, up against Satan. In fact, he didn't even come up against Satan. He came up against Satan in the form of his wife's temptations. Satan tempted Eve, and Eve tempted Adam. So he, he didn't even have the full force of the temptation, did he? But he failed, absolutely miserably. And as a representative of the human race, he plunged us all into misery. So Jesus now, he's going into the wilderness and he's going to see if he can do any better. And certainly he does a lot better. 
there's not just one temptation, there's three temptations, and uh, Jesus referring to the Word of God, to what God said, and repeating what God said properly instead of Eve repeating what he said in a paraphrase, defeated Satan. So now he's ready. He's ready to represent God to his people. He is ready to preach. And where does he go to preach? He doesn't go to Jerusalem. He goes to the north. He goes to Galilee. Do you remember last week I talked about Nazareth and I talked about Galilee as being a place where Gentiles came through and because of this uh, trade route that ran through Galilee. So it was called Galilee of the Gentiles. Do you see? A lot of Gentiles came through there and as they were coming through, the locals, as happens, of course, they're all over the world, they're trying to sell goods to them. So it was called Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, that was not a, uh, a name of praise. Okay? It was not a name of praise. It was a name of scorn and disdain. The Gentiles is associated with that, not like Jerusalem. So it's that place, the place that was mocked, the place that was thought to be second-rate, not as Jewish as it should be. That's where Jesus began his ministry. Very significant. You wouldn't look for him there if you were writing the story or if you um, were somebody in that time looking for Messiah. You go to Jerusalem, you go into Judah, and you look for him there. That would be the wrong place to go because God doesn't work in the way that we work. He doesn't think in the way that we think. He often takes us by surprise because of our pride, because of our presumption. So Jesus comes into Capernaum. The Capernaum was uh, 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 the major fishing port on the Sea of Galilee. And, of course, Israel is a very small place, so it's not too far away from Nazareth, but it's certainly a, a removal to, uh, uh, away from Nazareth to another place. And that's where he would have his base of operations. Capernaum was a, was, sorry, it was a Jewish town, but close to Gentile towns. The town of Tiberias, which was being built at that time, uh, was associated with, with uh, the Romans. And uh, Capernaum was kind of the, definitely the second rate town <coughs> there. So he, he dwells there in the regions of the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. And what Matthew does is that, first of all, he goes to, he goes to two places in Isaiah. He goes to Isaiah 9, where he speaks of uh, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. He takes that. And then he goes to another place in Isaiah. But, but one might ask, why then quote just a partial fragment from Isaiah? And it's Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9. Does anyone know why he might go to Isaiah 9 and what you might want to pick up from Isaiah chapter 9? Any Bible scholars here? Okay? What's in Isaiah chapter 9? 
Think of Christmas. No, that's chapter 7. Look to Isaiah. I'm not doing it for you. Come on. Isaiah chapter 9. Go to it and tell me what in verses 6 and 7 you read. The announcement of Messiah. The announcement of Messiah. Unto us a son is born. Unto us a child is given. Yes? That's in Isaiah 9, just a few verses after the mention of Zebulun and Naphtali. So what Matthew is doing is that he's taking that. He knows that the prophecy of Messiah is in that same chapter, and he knows that his readers, his Jewish readers, because he's writing mainly to Jews, will recognize that. Okay, So he's not quoting the whole passage. He's just focusing on Zebulun and Naphtali, And the idea is that, of course, Messiah is going to go there. Because that's what Isaiah said he would be doing. He'd be starting there, do you see? And then he goes to Isaiah 42. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Okay, that's from Isaiah 42, verse 7. 42, 7. Go to chapter 42 of Isaiah. I've got my ear here like this. I'm listening to pages turn. Isaiah 42. Because there's something very interesting in Isaiah 42. It's, it's not that Matthew is just jumping around to find a text that he can use. He is being kind of sneaky. He's smart, okay? Because right before Isaiah 42.7 is Isaiah 42.6. Would you believe it? Listen to it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. If you recognize that's because I preached on it not long ago. Who's this talking about? This is talking about Jesus. This is talking about the Messiah. This is a messianic prophecy. And it says that the Messiah is going to be given as a covenant... Do you see that? To the people. Not just the people of Israel, but also to the Gentiles. And as we saw when we looked at this passage, the covenant is Jesus, and the covenant that he represents is the new covenant, which is the covenant of salvation. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And in Luke 22:20, Jesus says, when we're uh, taking the first uh, commemoration of the Lord's Supper, this is the blood of the new covenant. So which covenant is it? It's the new covenant, okay? So what's Matthew doing here? Matthew, in quoting verse 7, to open the blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from their prison house. 
is alluding to the fact that Messiah, because this is a messianic prophecy, the Messiah has come for a covenant mission. Why is that interesting? Because Malachi, in another text we've looked at, Malachi calls him the messenger of the covenant. Okay? This is why covenant's so important to the Bible. These Jewish readers would have got this. They would have put the pieces together. Okay? I'm putting the pieces together uh, for you this morning. So Jesus here, at the beginning of his ministry, is described as a light. A light. Again, so let's think of a light. We turn these lights off, okay? And we're, it's a bit light outside, but it would be dim inside this building, okay? And uh, like an hour ago, it would be kind of miserable, murky in here because of, of the overcast weather outside. And that's kind of the idea. You turn the light on, and what the light does, it, it kind of brings a, a, a relief. It, uh, it, it drives out the darkness. It drives out the murkiness. It brings detail in. It brings, uh, a, calls attention to things. It makes you see things. It makes you see others. Jesus is the light, and what he did is he made people see God for who God is because they'd forgotten all about who God was under the teachings of the Pharisees and the scribes. What they'd done is that they'd brought in another God. Another Yahweh. But this God was the God of their traditions. A God who just required so much petty obedience to this and that. You know, only walk so many paces during a day on a Sabbath. And we still have that petty God in... uh, in uh, rabbinic Judaism today. I used to live in North London, and uh, North London is a place where you get a lot of um, um, conservative Jews with the tassels and so on. And uh, I remember that one day we uh, I had a friend. He, he was an interesting guy. He used to, he actually came to Britain to set up a drug cartel (laughs) and got saved. And, uh, I met him in in seminary. But his wife used to, uh, she used to, uh, house sit for uh, these Jews. And so we, we went to the, this house in London to pick her up. We were going to go out. I think, to eat. and uh, But it was a Sabbath day, Jewish Sabbath, okay? So she came out, she got in the car, we drove about 10 yards, and then she said, oh, stop, stop. So we stopped, she got out of the car, she ran back into the house, she turned the lights off. No, she turned the lights on. No, she turned the lights off, whatever. She turned the switch on, ran back out, got in the car, and we went. Right, what was all that about? 
Well, because the family, the Jewish family, couldn't on the Sabbath turn the lights on. Okay? You will, you will not find, this is not mockery, okay? I'm just describing, but, but you will find that they will not walk on the grass during the Sabbath in case at walking on the grass they cut the grass. Okay? That's the God that they serve is not the God of the Bible. Do you understand? He's a different God. He's a God who has been uh, shaped and interpreted by rabbinic tradition. There's a huge blindness, a huge block on most Jewish people when it comes to God and especially when it comes to the Messiah. And Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 11. Well, Jesus comes as a light. And Jesus comes to represent God to a people who had been wrongly taught for generations in the synagogues about who God was and what God expected. And, of course, he got the ire of the scribes and the Pharisees for doing that. But there's no doubt about the fact that in the northern part of Israel, circa A.D. 26, 27, which is about the time that we're talking about here, that Jesus and his teachings and his miracles brought a huge light to these people. Huge hope to these people. His his ministry was extraordinary. If you want to get an idea of it, just read the first few chapters of Mark. Okay? And you'll see Jesus. He's at it all the time. All the time. These remarkable things that he's doing. One after another. It's true indeed that the light had dawned on these people. Then Jesus describes, just very briefly, the preaching of Jesus. Now, if you look in the chapter before this, in chapter 3, look at verses 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, not, not in Galilee, but Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, back over chapter 1, chapter 4, sorry, not chapter 1, chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's preaching exactly the same message as John the Baptist. Do you see that? When John the Baptist came on the scene, okay, the kingdom that he was preaching about would have been interpreted as one kingdom only, and that would be the Davidic kingdom prophesied over and over again in the Old Testament, a kingdom where the line of David, the dynasty of David, would be continued on a throne in Jerusalem over Israel and then extending throughout the world in accordance with Old Testament prophecy, many of which we looked at when we were going through the Old Testament. 
Jesus is preaching the same thing. The question is, does he mean the same thing? Do these words take on a different meaning because Jesus is preaching them? And the answer, I think, is very clear. No, they don't. The preaching of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry is not repent because I'm going to die on the cross for your sins and be raised again for your justification. The preaching is not Paul's gospel. I don't know if that makes you feel uncomfortable. I can't help that it might make you feel uncomfortable, but it just happens to be true. Jesus is not preaching his sacrifice for sins. And if you'll read, well, you can see it in all of the Gospels, but if you'll read Mark's Gospel in particular, you will see that Jesus is very careful not to preach it. He keeps it secret. And he tells his disciples in secret. And when he tells them, they don't get it. They don't understand. One of the reasons that they don't understand is because it's not what he's been preaching. Do you see? What he's been preaching is this. For the people of Israel to repent. Why? Because the kingdom is coming. Let's just break this down then. The first preaching of Jesus included the word repent. And the word repent means, it's the Greek word metanoia, and the the, um, basic meaning is to change your mind, to change your mind. Now, when you change your mind about something, okay, it means that you once saw things one way, yes? Now you've got more information or you've just pondered it a bit more, you know, than superficially. You've actually contemplated it. And now you see that your interpretation was wrong. Your point of view was wrong. And so you have changed your view. You once thought that way and you don't think that way anymore because that's wrong. You've identified it as an error. And now you think this way, and you accept that as the truth. And because you accept it as the truth, it changes not only your point of view, but because this is more than a news snippet, okay, or a piece of information on a general knowledge quiz, this is a life-changing message. It changes your thinking about a whole gamut of things. And because it does that, it affects you as a human being and it affects you as you act in the world. You now think about God in a very different way. Praise God for these people. They were seeing God for who he was for the first time. And they were seeing it in the miracles and in the words and in the actions of Jesus Christ. Because as Jesus says, Of course, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was representing God there to them. Yes, he was a great light. So repent. For, there's a reason, (laughs) 
the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, you might wonder, what's the kingdom of heaven? I know that uh, in the other Gospels, it's called the kingdom of God. Is there a difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God? The answer to that is no. Matthew is writing to Jews. And Jews were sensitive about the name of God. You see? So what he does is he uses the term heaven as a circumlocution for God. That's all that he's doing. Okay? Do you understand? That's all that he's doing. So the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. What is therefore the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? Well, it is what we've been accustomed to believe. It is the Davidic kingdom. Jesus, as the Messiah, has the perfect right to preach about the coming kingdom because, after all, he's the king. He, he's, he's in line, okay? So he's the king, and as the son of God... He's the one who's going to bring in this kingdom of shalom, this kingdom of peace, this kingdom of justice, this uh, kingdom of equity into Israel. And so there he is, preaching and, and doing these amazing, miraculous works, teaching like nobody else has ever taught, changing lives, and the message that he's conveying in all of this ministry is that this transformation of the world under his kingship is just around the corner. That's the message. Is at hand. This kingdom, of course, is the covenant kingdom. We're not getting away from covenants at all here. We're right in the middle of covenants. In order for people to comprehend and accept this message of a, um, uh, the kingdom of God coming to earth, they had to repent. And some did. Some did under the preaching of John the Baptist. Some did under the preaching of Jesus. You might say many did, but not enough. They were certainly overwhelmed by a great majority who were either indifferent or couldn't prize themselves away from the traditions of the elders, the false teaching that they'd grown up with, or who just didn't like Jesus and didn't like his message. Those people won out. It's the greatest stain in human history that those people won out. Those people were the majority. Those people, or representatives of those people, wanted Barabbas, a murderer and a robber, to be released to them in, in uh, favor, or rather, rather than Jesus, the miracle worker and teacher from God. That's the human heart. If Jesus came to earth like 
the lowly servant that he was in these times, today he would be rejected in the same way. They wouldn't crucify him, but they'd behead him or do something awful with him. We're no different than those people that rejected him. The vast majority of people, unfortunately, will not repent. Now, what this means is that God can't do this transforming work. He can't bring in this kingdom of paradise if it depends on the human will. If it depends on votes from the human race, it's, this is never going to happen. Jesus is never going to get voted in. So what it means is it has to be imposed. Now, he has the right to impose it because, after all, he's God. And the imposition of this kingdom is for the good of creation and the good of humanity. But it means that those who resist will be summarily dealt with in God's judgment. Now, you might be asking here a question. Okay, I get Jesus. He came as a light, and his words and his ministry was amazing and changed people's lives. And I get that his preaching was about the Davidic kingdom which was just around the corner. My problem is... It wasn't just around the corner, was it? It's been 2,000 years now. So what does it mean, at hand? Well, here's the thing. And this has to be understood and it has to be accepted. And it's this thing that I'm going to say next, which, because it's rejected, is the cause of the spiritualization of the Bible by so many Christians. And it's the fact that when Jesus came the first time, he should have been accepted for who he was. No excuse. All the evidence was there. You even see in certain places in the Gospels where they're discussing, you know, isn't this the son of David? Isn't this the Messiah who should come? And some of them are saying, no, 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 it can't be because none of them are, you know, the Messiah is not going to come from Galilee. Okay? You, you see that dispute going on. Okay? But Jesus was the king. You say, well, when they tried to make him king in the Gospel of John, I recall that he rejected that and he wouldn't have, he'd have none of it. Yeah, that's because they wanted to make him a political king in this world. Okay? They weren't willing to repent first. But God, God re- demands repentance before Jesus can reign as the king that he is. There was no repentance, or at least not enough. And so Jesus was rejected and he was killed just as it was prophesied 
in the Old Testament. And then we get the church age, which we will deal with a little further on in this uh, series. The church age, which intervenes between God's dealing with Israel uh, in the first coming and God's dealing with Israel before the second coming. But make no mistake, if the people would have accepted Jesus as the king who he was, the kingdom would have come about. You say, well, hold on a minute, I don't understand that because didn't he have to die? Yes, this is because Jesus, uh, God in prophesying knows what is going to happen. So he can prophesy something. But just because he prophesies, for example, if, if uh, he predicted this person's going to kill that person, doesn't mean that the person that does the murder is off the hook. Do you see? It's just that God knows. He's predicting it. So yes, Jesus had to die, and he did die because he would be rejected, but the people that rejected Jesus are guilty for that rejection. But let's not forget what the message was. The message was that God was there ready to bring in that kingdom of peace where the wolf lies down with the lamb and the little child leads the, the whatever it is, the bear or the lion. That we could be living in that world. But we're not. But the covenant kingdom was offered. It was at hand. Now, it's not. You'll find at the end of uh, the Gospels, and uh, you, you see it in Matthew after chapter 12. You see it in Luke's Gospel, particularly in chapter 19, where Jesus' uh, emphasis changes. And he starts to speak about a kingdom that's a way off now. He starts to speak about his death and his rejection. And we'll be dealing with that. But make no mistake, what happened here in Jesus' ministry was God breaking into human history. A light came, the light, as John calls him, came into the world. It shone for a few years, not for many. <laughs> for a few years, it shone. And through the preaching of the word and through the reading of the word, it still shines. And this same Messiah, this same Christ, needs to be accepted for who he is by people today, by you. Don't reject him, especially because he was willing to change this message. He knew that, of course. But he was willing to change this message, knowing he would be rejected, and the message that had to be accepted was the fact that Jesus went to the cross and died for the sins of the people that rejected him. What about you? Do you reject him still? Because one day, 
this same Jesus is going to return. And next time, you don't get a say as to whether he sets up his kingdom or not. That, um, what's the colorful phrase? That, that chance is gone. Now, when he comes again, he's going to impose his kingdom. And I'm happy. I'm happy that it's going to be imposed because I'm going to be there. And so are you if you've trusted in him, if you've repented, if you see who Jesus really is. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that Jesus did preach the kingdom. And that kingdom, Lord, it's not gone away and it's not spiritualized. It's an abeyance until Jesus returns. But he's going to return and he's going to set up that kingdom. He's not thwarted by, uh, in his intentions by human will. And his intentions are not uh, equivocal so that uh, the kingdom doesn't really mean the Old Testament kingdom. That would be God deceiving people. The kingdom is the kingdom that we expect, the kingdom of the covenants, the kingdom, Lord, that all those that trust in Jesus will be a part of, a kingdom of joy, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom where Jesus is held up to be who he really is, Son of God and the Messiah. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.